Section 36 of Knickerbocker's History of New York, Volume 2, by Washington Irving. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Maria Casper. Knickerbocker's History of New York, Volume 2, by Washington Irving. Book 7, Chapter 10 now did the high-minded peter de groot shower down a pannier load of maledictions upon his burgomasters for a set of self-willed obstinate factious varlets who would neither be convinced nor persuaded nor did he omit to bestow some left-handed compliments upon the sovereign people as a herd of poltroons who had no relish for the glorious hardships and illustrious misadventures of battle but would rather stay at home and eat and sleep in ignoble ease than fight in a ditch for immortality and a broken head resolutely bent however upon defending his beloved city in despite even of itself he called unto him his trusty van corlear who was his right-hand man in all times of emergency him did he adjure to take his war-denouncing trumpet and mounting his horse to beat up the country night and day sounding the alarm along the pastoral border of the bronx startling the wild solitudes of croton arousing the rugged yeomanry of weehawk and hoboken the mighty men of battle of tappan bay and the brave boys of tarrytown petticoat lane and sleepy hollow charging them one and all to sling their powder horns shoulder their fowling pieces and march merrily down to the manhattoes now there was nothing in all the world the divine sex excepted that antony van corlear loved better than errands of this kind so just stopping to take a lusty dinner and bracing to his side his junk bottle well charged with heart-inspiring hollands he issued jollily from the city gate which looked out upon what is at present called broadway sounding a farewell strain that rung in sprightly echoes through the winding streets of new amsterdam alas never more were they to be gladdened by the melody of their favorite trumpeter it was a dark and stormy night when the good antony arrived at the creek sagely denominated harlem river which separates the island of manahatta from the mainland the wind was high the elements were in an uproar and no caron could be found to ferry the adventurous sounder of brass across the water for a short time he vapored like an impatient ghost upon the brink and then bethinking himself of the urgency of his errand took a hearty embrace of his stone bottle swore most valorously that he would swim across in spite of the devil spite den duivel and daringly plunged into the stream luckless antony scarce had he buffeted halfway over when he was observed to struggle violently as if battling with the spirit of the waters instinctively he put his trumpet to his mouth and giving a vehement blast sank forever to the bottom the clangor of his trumpet like that of the ivory horn of the renowned paladin orlando when expiring in the glorious field of roncesvalles rang far and wide through the country alarming the neighbors round who hurried in amazement to the spot. Here an old Dutch burgher, famed for his veracity, 
and who had been a witness of the fact, related to them the melancholy affair, with the fearful addition, to which I am slow of giving belief, that he saw the dival in the shape of a huge moss-bonker, seize the sturdy Antony by the leg, and drag him beneath the waves. Certain it is the place, with its adjoining promontory, which projects into the Hudson, has been called Spuyten Duyvel ever since. The ghost of the unfortunate Antony still haunts the surrounding solitudes, and his trumpet has often been heard by the neighbors of a stormy night, mingling with the howling of the blast. Nobody ever attempts to swim across the creek after dark. On the contrary, a bridge has been built to guard against such melancholy accidents in the future, and as to moss-bonkers, they are held in such abhorrence that no true Dutchman will admit them to his table, who loves good fish and hates the devil. Such was the end of Antony Van Corlear, a man deserving of a better fate. He lived roundly and soundly, like a true and jolly bachelor, until the day of his death. But though he was never married, yet he did leave behind some two or three dozen children in different parts of the country, fine, chubby, brawling, flatulent little urchins, from whom, if legends speak true, and they are not apt to lie, did descend the innumerable race of editors who people and defend this country, and who are bountifully paid by the people for keeping up a constant alarm and making them miserable. It is hinted, too, that in his various expeditions into the East he did much toward promoting the population of the country, in proof of which is adduced the notorious propensity of the people of those parts to sound their own trumpet. As some way-worn pilgrim, when the tempest whistles through his locks, and night is gathering round, beholds his faithful dog, the companion and solace of his journeying, stretched lifeless at his feet, so did the generous-hearted hero of the Manhattoes contemplate the untimely end of Antony Van Corlear. He had been the faithful attendant of his footsteps. He had charmed him in many a weary hour by his honest gaiety and the martial melody of his trumpet, and had followed him with unflinching loyalty and affection through many a scene of direful peril and mishap. He was gone, forever and that, too, at a moment when every mongrel cur was skulking from his side. This, Peter Stuyvesant, was the moment to try thy fortitude, and this was the moment when thou didst indeed shine forth, Peter the Headstrong. The glare of day had long dispelled the horrors of the stormy night. Still all was dull and gloomy. The late jovial Apollo hid his face behind lugubrious clouds, peeping out now and then for an instant, as if anxious yet fearful to see what was going on in his favorite city. This was the eventful morning when the great Peter was to give his reply to the summons of the invaders. Already was he closeted with his privy council, sitting in grim state, brooding over the fate of his favorite trumpeter, and anon boiling with indignation as the insolence of his recreant burgomasters flashed upon his mind. While in this state of irritation, a courier arrived in all haste, from Winthrop the subtle governor of Connecticut, counselling him in the most affectionate and disinterested manner to surrender the province, and magnifying the dangers and calamities to which a refusal would subject him. 
what a moment was this to intrude officious advice upon a man who never took advice in his whole life the fiery old governor strode up and down the chamber with a vehemence that made the bosoms of his counsellors to quake with awe railing at his unlucky fate that thus made him the constant butt of factious subjects and jesuitical advisers just at this ill-chosen juncture the officious burgomasters who had heard of the arrival of mysterious dispatches came marching in a body into the room with a legion of shepherds and toad-eaters at their heels and abruptly demanded a perusal of the letter this was too much for the spleen of peter stuyvesant he tore the letter in a thousand pieces threw it in the face of the nearest burgomaster broke his pipe over the head of the next hurled his spitting-box at an unlucky shepin who was just retreating out at the door and finally prorogued the whole meeting sine die by kicking them downstairs with his wooden leg as soon as the burgomasters could recover from their confusion and had time to breathe they called a public meeting where they related at full length and with appropriate colouring and exaggeration the despotic and vindictive deportment of the governor declaring that for their own parts they did not value a straw the being kicked cuffed and mauled by the timber toe of his excellency but that they felt for the dignity of the sovereign people thus rudely insulted by the outrage committed on the seat of honour of their representatives the latter part of the harangue came home at once to that delicacy of feeling and jealous pride of character vested in all true mobs who though they may bear injuries without a murmur yet are marvellously jealous of their sovereign dignity and there is no knowing to what act of resentment they might have been provoked had they not been somewhat more affright of their sturdy old governor than they were of st nicholas the english or the devil himself End of section 36